Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Change Podcast. My name is Linda, and today I have a very, very special guest that I'm so excited to introduce to you. I have Trigger Strasberg, the co-founder of Humble Design that I am currently obsessed over, so I had to invite her here. Hi, Trigger. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm awesome. It's a good day. It's so good to finally see you like this. I saw you on TV, on social media, but I never thought I'd have you on my podcast, and I'm so excited that you're here. I'm excited for the opportunity. So today's topic that we're going to discuss is getting to know a little bit more about Humble Design, not for the business itself, but because of what they stand for in the world, what kind of impact they have on society that I'm very, very touched by, especially in today's social media-driven, social media-obsessed culture, I feel like a lot of us crave and lack human connection. It's very easy to just get into our phones and just think about my life, my problems, and literally there's days that go by where people don't have any social interaction with anyone else except for on their phone. So in this me-driven society. People like you guys, Humble Design, promote a culture of we, which I think is so, so important. And, and your story is so interesting because I know that you were in marketing and advertising before, and now you have transitioned into the nonprofit sector. So I'm very curious, what was going on in your life that made you transition into nonprofit? So I, like you said, I was in advertising and graphic design. I was an art director um, for many years. And while I absolutely love the creative end of it, the day-to-day sort of felt like a little bit of a grind. And that's just due to having a job, right? And, and uh, going to work and doing work on projects you don't necessarily love. But I found like uh, I would start to rotate towards project. Like I got to work with my husband a little bit on the truth campaign which is the anti-tobacco campaign and why I would get so emotional and so built up about doing, working on those projects. And even it was so far removed from the actual, the people that we were affecting, um, but it still got me excited. So when I had a chance to uh, move to Detroit, my husband um, uh, got involved with an advertising agency. They're called Donor. And when I moved there, I really wanted to keep my skills alive and to be a graphic designer with my two kids at home, but I only had three hours a day. So I went to volunteer my time instead. And that is when my whole world changed. Mm. Everything was thrown upside down in a very, very good way. And I started to think outside of my own day-to-day, like you said, my own me concept, um, which had been ingrained in me, you know, ever since going into school and, and being taught to get a job and, and raise a family and do all those things. And you, you make a little bubble around yourself. And all of a sudden, I was face-to-face with somebody who needed me. And I met a woman at this nonprofit who was sleeping on the floor with her children. And that broke my heart to a million pieces. And as many times as I had volunteered in the past or served soup at a soup kitchen, I had never come face-to-face with somebody who's in my sphere who needed my help so badly. And that began this journey of furnishing homes for families who are really in need. That takes a lot of courage to move forward in something that moved you so deeply. Because there are a lot of people who they know that they're on this daily grind, like you said, and they feel stuck, but they don't know what else to do. Because we're so taught that we have to hustle, we have to do this, and we're afraid to live a life that feels a little bit better, but maybe is not as, quote unquote, cookie cutter successful as society puts it. Right. 
And it, it takes a little bit of courage, but in, you'll soon very quickly realize that it is its own reward again and again and again. And um, what I found was that by starting this very in a very small, organic way and getting people involved, it became a magnet for people who wanted to find this in their life. And yes, I should say, we provide furniture and, and home furnishings for people who are in need, who are leaving the homeless shelters, who have nothing. But more importantly, or equally as important, is we provide an opportunity for people who are feeling the way that you just described to get involved in a really easy and organic way and have a one-to-one -one relationship with the person that they're helping. They see them, they look them in the eye, and they see what their hard work accomplished. And I wonder sometimes, who is taking away the most from this experience? Certainly the family's lives are changed forever and we have actual documentation and, and statistics behind that. But what we haven't really delved into is what does this do to the person who's volunteering, who feels that way and who feels so caught up in their day-to-day -day and everyday life that just giving a little piece of their day to somebody else can make a huge difference in their life. That's awesome. So can you give us a little bit more detail about Humble Design? Sure. What you yeah. do, what your mission, philosophy, what is it that you spend your hours on? My life, my entire life. So um, what we do is we gather furniture from the community and we have warehouses in four cities across the United States and we distribute the furniture to families who are coming out of homeless shelters. But we don't do it in a haphazard way. We meet with the family. We have interior designers on staff. We get to know their needs and their wants on Monday. On Tuesday, we come back to our warehouse and craft and pull furniture that's right for the family. We get all the dishes together, all the organizational, extra linen, tons of pillows for the beds, artwork for the walls. Everything that goes in your house goes in our house. Our warehouse looks like little bed, bath, and beyonds of donated <laughs> furniture. And then the next day, we go down with 10 volunteers and we completely redo the house while the family is out at the park or getting uh, you know, their kids in school. And then when they come home around three o'clock, the volunteers get to stay inside the apartment or the house, watch the family come in. And I don't know if you've ever seen Extreme Home Makeover, but that moment of the reveal of tears and relief is palpable. And, and you, I feel it in my chest just now just describing it. And so our volunteers get to watch the family come home and their lives being changed forever. And the home is such an important place for well-being. We're a lot, a lot of people now are concerned about mental health. You know, mental health is a key word that people talk about these days. But we don't really, we, I, I think we take for granted how much the home affects our mental health, which affects our actions, our decisions, our perceptions of the world. So I think what you're doing is so, so important in creating that space, that safe space for people to have that great mental health that ripples effects into all aspects of their lives. It really does. And we have the, the studies to back this up. You know, one of the things I always love to say uh, is nobody in the history of the world has ever washed a rented vehicle. And so, you know, Pride in ownership changes everything. Also, everyone is deserving of beauty. Sometimes the neighborhoods that we go into have neglected um, areas and areas that are not invested in, in beauty. Um, and so being able to step into your own space, the space not only that feels like you, but and reflects your interests, but is beautiful and feel you feel deserving of and you feel respected and dignified and you're inviting people in, all of a sudden everything changes. Getting a good night's sleep, 
That changes everything. Inviting people into your home for the first time. We have kids who the very first thing they ever do is invite somebody over for a sleepover because those are the things we take for granted. You know, our kids have sleepovers all the time and that's how they make connections and friendships and long lasting friendships. Well, you're not going to invite anybody in when you're sleeping on the floor and you're ashamed of where you are. Our families have had us over for Thanksgiving, for Christmas dinners because they're proud of their environment. And guess what? They stay. They stay and they do not go back into the cycle of homelessness. We have had a huge impact in that revolving door of homeless shelters, whereas only 1% of our families go back into homelessness, comparative to the uh, national statistic, which is 50%. Now, what are we even talking about right now? How is that even possible? Right. Right of ownership, it's dignity, it's beauty, it's all these things that, like you said, we overlook in the mental health space, what that does to your outlook on life, what that does to your long-term versus short-term thinking. All those studies are out there and we really need to pay attention to them if we're going to solve the homeless situation. Right. And it's always, though I, I always say this, but all of our problems that we try to fix with laws and more control and stuff is all things that we actually can't see. You know, like how we feel in our space, how we perceive things like this, how our brain is working. So I think a lot of people, if we really want to make change in society, we have to look at things that you said we take for granted, things that are inside of us that are at the root of maybe the the destructive things we do on the outside or the helpful things that we do on the outside, which is why I really love what you guys do. And by isolating ourselves more and more, we lose that empathetic strand that we used to have in this country, um, being able to have a one-on-one relationship with somebody. By removing ourselves electronically further and further away from people who are dissimilar to us, we forget that the people out there who need us are just like us. We are one human race who... Everybody, there's no story out there that I found right now that is dismissive. I've never met a family or a mom. I'm like, they don't deserve my help. They're jerks. They deserve what they, I, in 1,250 families, it's never happened because everybody's deserving of empathy and everybody has been on the losing end of that last paycheck at one point or another. So by tying us together in a way that I'm doing something for you that brings me joy, that's going to bring joy to you. I equate it to giving a gift to somebody you love during the holidays that you know that they're going to love. And that feeling that you get of doing something for somebody else that they're going to love so much and you know in your heart that it's going to change them. We get that feeling every day with what we do. And we do seven homes a week for families across this country. Wow. Now, regardless of all of that, of just everything I just said, for me, it's made my life so uh, rich and full and fulfilled that I'm, I'm eternally grateful for this challenge and, and this path. Do you stay connected to the families that you have transformed their homes for? I mean, it's hard not to like almost ever. I've been to like hospitals where people deliver babies. I have been to graduations. I get texts. I would say every hour, probably every two hours from women who are like, Hey, check me out. I just graduated or Hey, check me out. I got married or, you know, on Facebook, I'm friends with thousands of people who have come into this sphere. You know, we have a, a little boy who was moved eight times in two years into schools and he was failing out of school. And, uh, he was in 
one school for one year because he was, we, we did his home and they decided to stay in that place. And a year into his schooling, they uh, diagnosed him with profound deafness. He was profoundly deaf in both ears. So all of a sudden now I get emails like, he's doing great. He just graduated middle school. Like all this amazing stuff because they're my friends. They're, I'm tied to them forever. And I think that's so great. I think I, I have this little mission that I think our goal in life is to be friends with everyone and friends with ourselves too. And, this, and, and in this society, in our modern world, it's so easy to lose that. Yeah. You know, before we didn't have little devices we could run away, run away to, you know, when we had problems. But now people are afraid of that human contact, really. I see many people who prefer to just be alone, but at the same time, they feel so isolated and lonely. I, I want people to know also that homelessness isn't what you see on the news and what you perceive it to be. It's moms and kids. And like I said, one paycheck away, people with two and three jobs. A lot of our families are working families. Um, and the TV show that we run on Saturday mornings is, does a good job of, of really bringing that home, of showing what the face of homelessness looks like. So it's not so scary. And we've yeah. done a very good job of terrifying ourselves. Right. Of, with other people. Um, yeah. We're trying to take the sting out of that a little bit. Right. The media paints a really scary picture of homelessness. But, you know, I, I uh, read something about homelessness when I was researching about this because I did a little study about it. But, you know, a lot of people, we when we see people who are asking for money on the streets, you know, we say like, oh, why don't you just get a job? Or we tend to blame that person. But we don't realize that a lot of people are not like what you see out there. And they became homeless because of a choice that was beyond their control. You know, so it's very easy, I feel, to like blame people for being in that situation. But we have to understand that not everyone got there from their laziness or their control. So I think that's a really big stigma that we have to overcome. The percentage of people who choose to be homeless is infinitesimal, very, very small. And I, I do respect that uh, segment of society who, who chooses to, to do that. But everybody in the shelter wants to get out. Yes. Not at the last place you want to be. And we used to have room in our shelters for, for individuals who are dealing with drug addiction or mental health problems. We used to have room. Now with our society and our economy the way that it is, there is zero beds for that segment of our society. Right now it's filled with women and children and veterans and youth aging out of foster care. That's what all the beds are right now. And there is zero space left. So if you truly, truly believe in your heart that those women and children are in the shelter because they choose to be, I really suggest you go down to the shelter and talk. Just pull one person aside and hear their story. There are, there's, a shelter is indicative of the worst year of your life. Mm -hmm. Your story is a great example of someone who felt something inside, triggered by some stimulus on the outside, felt something deep within, and you were someone who changed the direction of her path, her life path to follow that feeling, follow that knowing that came up from within you. And I'm really curious about that process because I feel like a lot of people, if they feel it, they try to stuff it down because it's scary because a lot of the times the job that we have or the job that we really 
feel from our hearts. Maybe it doesn't satisfy you financially. Maybe it feels like a not cool job or whatever. There's a lot of obstacles that we build in chasing our dream Mm because it really seems like you're living your dream. You're living your heart's (laughs) dream. So I really want to hit that point for people in our audience who might be in that tender stage of they're in a very comfortable job. And they want to find something that lights their fi- lights the fire within, or they have found it and they're afraid to act on it. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that, please? So we coined it as empathy in action, right? So uh, turning your empathy into action and being the change that you want to see in the world. Yes, Gandhi. If you want to, if you're driving by somewhere and you're like, oh, that's so annoying. Somebody should really do something about that. You are the person who should really do something about that. It, uh, if everybody takes a small corner, a small piece of what we're supposed to be doing, the world would be a very different place. And I'm, I, it's scary, uh, especially when somebody needs to pay the bills, right? You need to pay the bills. So everything usually like this starts as a side project. Um, I do what I have to do to pay the bills and to take care of my kids and to do that. And then with four hours of my week, five hours of my week, six hours of my week, I choose to do this, which might not make me money now or pay the bills or be practical, but it make it fulfills that vacuum of the other portion. So if you are on the fence of whether or not to start something or join something, do a, a little bit, bite off a tiny edge and see how that feels. Bite off a little bit more the next day. Nobody's saying that you have to throw up your hands and run off to the Peace Corps right now. If you wanna do like, great, we all support you. But in volunteering is the best way to start this and, and getting outside of yourself, right? Seeing the world from a different perspective, holding babies in the, in the hospital, uh, you know, making sure that people are fed or taken care of in any way outside of yourself, hopefully in the same path as something you're passionate about. Don't go hold babies if you are not the nurturing type. Do something that's in your vein because I guarantee you there's somebody out there who needs your help desperately at a nonprofit who's waiting for you to walk in the door and say, I can give you three hours. Now, once that first step is taken and you decide that this makes you feel great, then you have to figure out how, if it's something that you're starting on your own or something that you're participating in, how you are going to juggle and balance all those things. What I decided early on in Humble was that the segment that I wanted to help and the segment who was helping shouldn't be the same people. I didn't want to make the people who are working for me poor enough to need my help. Mm. We figured out how to start raising money and being very honest is we want to pay a living wage. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that we're going to grow slower? Probably. Does that mean that people are going to have a problem with our overhead versus our programming cost? Maybe. Nobody's getting rich. Nobody's getting rich on nonprofit. And if they are, you're going to find out about it in the newspaper. (laughs) Right now, my goal is to take moms who have had children or people who are thinking of having children and giving them a work-life balance. So they can come to work, do their job, be efficient, and then also have a life which they tender to, which is really just as important, right? So if we can find that balance in our lives, and maybe you're not making as much money as you were before, but I guarantee you on the back end when you put your head on the pillow, it's a whole nother feeling. It's a whole 
it's a whole nother world that you've opened up for yourself. So what we get back in emotional payment and, and payment when I, when I tuck my kids in, in bed at night, yeah, Rob and I have made some sacrifices to keep this thing up and going, but th- those don't feel like sacrifices when I go in and see the moms and when I go to bed at night and have a full heart. I love that. And there's no price you can pay on a full heart. I can't, I, I couldn't imagine how much money at this point I would trade for what I do. Like I, you know, Rob and I invested in this company, like we would a small business and we tried to get it going and, and rescued it a couple times. And, uh, never once I'm like, Oh darn it. Like shouldn't have, shouldn't have invested in that. Like I feel completely, um, overwhelmed by gratitude of what I was able to participate in. And, and I've never had that feeling before. This is not something I was born with. This is not something that I've always felt this way. This is something that was taught to me through this process. How do you, envision or what impact you wish humble design has on the world if 50 years from now people can say in one sentence humble design is what would you want people to say it is oh what a great question um so okay it's going to be not as short as you hoped but i want to be the household name of donated furniture I want to take our one little puzzle piece and do it so, so, so well that we are the the queens of this, this one thing. You'll never see me in the food space, in the, you know, the shelter space, any of this. I'm going to do this piece of the puzzle very, very well and hope that you out there are going to do the other pieces. So in 50 years, this is my legacy. This is what I've left behind. And there are hundreds of thousands of families that are better off and systematically, generationally better off than they were before we got there. If you can say a third generation in 50 years was touched by humble and that had a ripple effect on generations to come, I think I could just rest in peace. Yeah, that's amazing. So that was a long-winded answer. So very, <laughs> very short question. I love it. And would you say that that's the same for you? If someone 100 years from now said, trigger was da 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 how would you want your legacy to be remembered? Is it same as humble? Is it a little different? Because you, you know, you're a wife, you're a woman, you have you that's a little bit separate from humble. So I'm curious what that is for you. Such a great question. Um, I just, I want people to know um, that I cared, that I tried and I cared. And um, I, I always say to myself, I'm humble, because right now my job is crazy because I have to raise enough money to keep four of these running. So that's my job right now. I go out and I talk to corporations, I talk to people and try and get feed the kitty to keep this to happening. And I, I always think like, okay, what would happen if I failed at my job? Would that change the people that I've helped before, that 1,250 families? No. Would it affect the families in the future? Absolutely. So I'm working for those future families, but you can't change the impact that we've already made. That is set and it's on a trajectory of its own. And we won't really know what that impact is for another 20 to 30 years. Um, So for me as a person, I just want people to know that I cared and that I always go walk into every situation with zero judgments. We're all people. We all should treat each other equally and, and, and with heart and kind of walk into every situation knowing that I'm about to hear something that's going to change me. I'm, you're about to share something with me that I need to be open to. So 
I hope that I leave that legacy to my kids that they can walk into situations with their hearts open and with empathy on their sleeve. Um, and that's my goal as mom now. My goal as mom, they're, they're dragged along with me to all these houses so they can see and they can take over. Um, but really, I'm doing this only for one reason. I'm only doing this to try and heal, to try and heal what's broken. Yeah. And I think the world needs so much of that. There's one small part of it, right? Just right. But that's one little light that wasn't there before. And maybe that one light can inspire someone else to spark another light and then another light and then another light. So there's a really great quote by the Dalai Lama that I really love. He says, we don't need any more scientists. We don't need any more doctors. We don't need any more policymakers. We need people who are more healing, people with more compassion, because that is exactly what the world needs right now. And we see so much evidence of very intelligent people, very qualified and successful people, but are people are the general public necessarily happier? You know, are we, are we hurting the earth less? You know, so I think that now is the time to really awaken people's hearts, like the connected, the empathy in action, like you mentioned, awakening people's empathy and ultimately awakening, awakening people's brain. Because it's with the brain that we can heal each other. And it's with the brain that we can also kill each other. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not as hard as we think. It's, it's a small step outside your comfort zone. You don't have to alter your entire life being or your, your, uh, you don't have to uproot everything that you built to become what you want. It's yes. a small step. And sometimes it's just a phone call yes. to somebody in need, somebody who needs your help. Just that one small step. I always say, I'm a train, put me on a track. And as soon as I found that track, it wasn't that far away. I mark, I do marketing and advertising still. I just do it now for one beautiful cause that I believe in. So you impact so many people's lives with humble design. And I think a lot of us out there, we don't really see how much impact the work that you do has outside of people in your company. So do you have any statistics or do you have any uh, yeah. research about how, you know, like we normal people in society who are not connected to humble design, not connected to any of this, how we are impacted by the work that you're doing? Sure. So Fast Company wrote a great article on us a while back that really did the psychological deep dive of what we do. But we have our statistics, which I mentioned, the 1% of families that are not going back in, into, uh, I'm sorry, 99% of our families that are not going back into homelessness. Um, and what that really translates into is that there's more money now that the shelters can spend on new families coming in. There's also uh, an effect to your taxes. So uh, about $40,000 per person uh, per year for a homeless individual between emergency services, shelters, emergency food services. So when we did our deep dive and when we tried to realize like what it is that we're doing, we learned that we still in just in the state of Michigan, have saved them close to $1.3 billion since our inception. Wow. So, like, what? I know. <laughs> so that on a macro level is, like, incredible, which is why the other states and other places have come to us in droves and be like, we want you here, we want you here. We need to know that once we put people into homes, that's the end of our story. Um, and it tends not to be. So we try to do those wraparound services. Also, what we've heard anecdotally is that a lot of our families are leaving domestic violence situations and are refugees in their own life. So they take two trash bags, middle of the night, and they split. So the majority of women, believe it or not, who do that go back. Not once, 
not twice, but up to five times before something tragic really happens, they go back. And so what we found in the study of our moms is that once we place the furniture and the items inside the house and they feel emboldened and feel good about their situation, they don't go back. They don't go back. So now you're stopping a cycle of abuse. Yes. And the kids are now growing up in a household that doesn't have a fear uh, element inside of it. Um, That's a huge, huge difference in, in the upbringing of children. Also, grades increase. So we can uh, quantify, you know, GPAs and how much a good night's sleep and a desk to do your homework at and a feeling of home when you come home and there's a snack on the table instead of sitting on the floor, how that impacts school. And once you start having people take ownership of that portion of their life, we have families who go back to school. We have families who get their GEDs. Every aspect of your life is touched by your home. So it may seem to the outsider looking in that it's furniture. Mm-hmm. But statistics and uh, all, of, all of the research that's done behind this really proves out that it is just a base from which to build your life around. Yes. So you, you transfer from short-term thinking into long-term thinking. And when you do that, things become exponentially better for those around you and for yourself. Right. Because a safe, <laughs> yes, because it totally makes sense to me because a safe home is really where it starts. It's really the foundation of growing the tree of mental health, physical health, emotional health, spiritual health. All of that comes from a safe, secure place in which you can grow. I mean, there's story after story. I had a mom recently text me after we, the next morning, I usually ask the family to send me a picture of their kids waking up or something like that. And she said, you don't understand the psychology of taking getting yourself out of bed and putting your feet on the floor versus wow. rolling onto the floor. And she said, just the mo- the minute that I my feet hit the floor, I knew things were going to get better. And for me, I don't understand that. I've never slept on the floor. I mean, willingly, we've done it just to figure out what it felt like, but I've never, I've been so blessed. And so I've had such a gifted upbringing that like, I've never had that moment. And so I tried to put myself in her position and then I try to put myself in her kid's position, where it's like, why does an eight-year-old cry at the side of a bed? And I, how, do the, how does the thought that beg ever even enter their head that they're worried about where they're going to sleep, what their safe space is? And then you just look back at your own life and think, oh my gosh, I'm so blessed. Like I am like so grateful, beyond grateful, that I never had to have a feeling that big at eight years old. Humble design is so, so inspiring. I'm getting goosebumps just listening to your story. I suggest everybody to look at our website and go and look at our videos because me telling you this Mm -hmm. is nothing compared to watching a boy or a girl run into their beds for for the first time. Yeah. You know, it's funny because the the first reason why I got interested in you guys is because I saw one of your videos and I saw the, the faces of the people like transform, especially the kids who like totally transformed and tears, all of that coming out. And that's when I felt something in my heart. I said, wow, these people are doing really, really great work. Thank you. Thank you. And I would encourage people again to come visit us. We're doing um, a Mother's Day campaign. So if you don't know what to give your mom for Mother's Day, we will dedicate a house to them uh, for a single mom in need. So how can they get more involved regularly? If someone is really touched by what you're doing and listening to this podcast and they want to help you guys, how can they get involved? Do they have to be in the four cities that you're in or can they help wherever? 
There's so many ways to get involved. If you are in one of the four cities, obviously the easiest way to get involved is come down and do a house with us. We're a volunteer at humbledesign.org and then you just sign up and then we send you the volunteer opportunities that week. We have um, opportunities to craft, opportunities to organize the warehouse, and of course, going down to the house. That's our, our favorite part. If you're part of a corporation and you want your corporation to get involved, we actually have these days of service that your corporation can pay for and then bring down 10 of their employees. And we make a big, beautiful day for you to volunteer down at the houses. But I would say if you're not in one of the cities, take this idea, take this joy and do something within your own community. We have families who in Iowa have, um, like a, a sale on their block of all the spring cleaning stuff that they want to get out. And then they donate all of the money to Humble Design and they call it their spring cleaning event, which is wow. amazing. And yeah. so with just this block of furniture, we're able to do three full houses for families or veterans in need. Like that blows my mind. Um, then there's places um, outside of our warehouse in San Diego up in LA who um, they got together and sold artwork for us and uh, made sure that we had everything that we need. We had an Amazon wish list out there and then this beautiful place in uh, Colorado fulfilled our Amazon wish list. So we have so much need um, and there's so many ways to get involved, whether physically or, or you know, making monetary donations. But really, just visiting our website and getting to know who we are and then making contact with us. We can get creative with you. You want to be involved, we'll figure out a way to get you involved. I love it. Do you have any last words for the audience, Trigger? I just would, again, hope that people would visit the website at humbledesign.org and make a donation in honor of your mom this Mother's Day. And thank you so, so much for having me on. It was really one of the best interviews I've ever had. Awesome. We hope to have you back for another topic someday. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. Yeah. So everyone, please visit their website. As she said, humbledesign.org and make a donation if you can. If you can't, if you live in the four cities, can you mention the four cities? Seattle, Detroit, San Diego, Chicago. and Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you live in those four cities, go help furnish a house. And maybe by taking that action, some spark will arise within you that makes you a little bit more clear on your life's path to do something more rewarding, do something beyond just the me mentality, growing into we. How smart. That's so, that's so smart. I think everyone needs to grow into that we mentality for all of us to truly thrive, truly be happy, and truly create that sustainable, healthy world that so many of us want, but we don't know how to create one step at a time. And as Trigger said, one step out of your comfort zone. Thank you so much. Thank you. I had so much fun. Thanks. Yes, thank you. Bye.